Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. Our guest today is an individual who I am in complete awe of, who recently achieved an extraordinary thing, sailing around the world unaided while at the same time competing with other skippers in a boat that was substantially older than all but one of the others out on those oceans with her. I'm of course talking about Pip Hare, who in February became only the eighth woman in history to finish the prestigious Vendée Globe round the world yacht race and the first British skipper to finish this year's edition. Together with her 60-foot yacht medallion, Pip covered the 24,365-mile challenge in an incredible 95 days, 11 hours and 37 minutes, finishing 19th overall. I'm proud to say that both Evolve and Inspire got on board early with her business syndicate providing Pip with support, and both teams followed her progress throughout the race and celebrated in spirit when she finished. In the months leading up to her departure, Pip was a guest on this podcast and also spoke at an evening event at Evolve in pre-COVID times. Back then, I was struck by her determination, fearlessness and quiet confidence, all characteristics that were fully on display during the course of the race itself. I wanted to get back to her and have another discussion with her on this podcast to hear about what she went through during the race and how it's changed her as an individual. As you listen to the podcast, there is so much that she says that relates to us as business leaders and the challenges that we face. But amongst other conversations today, Pip talks about her approach to anxiety and her approach to fear that helped her go faster. I would literally have to go through every single point of anxiety, every single point of concern and kind of all talk it through with myself. Why are you worried about this? You know. Why do you think this is going to break? Um, and then just very logically apply apply logic to everything. Takes us through the drama of having to repair a cracked rudder. You know, I kind of was prepared to sacrifice 12 hours of waiting just for a slither of a chance that I'd be able to do it um, instead of losing, you know, five days. And reveals the unexpected challenge that proved to be the hardest to overcome. I'm prepared for all of the tech prepared for the boat not to be working properly but I hadn't prepared for me not to be working properly. If you want to know more about Evolve and the services that we offer then please do go to evolvemembers.com but for now let's get on with the show. Pip welcome back to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you very much good to be here. It's um, It was early October 2020 when we last uh, spoke. You came in, we, we sat down, we had a discussion about your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations uh, for the Vendée Globe. And we talked a lot then about the preparation. So it's great to have you back now to talk about you know, what was the experience like and how you've evolved perhaps as an individual as a result. Um, 
So 24,000 miles later, 95 days at sea, <laughs> returned to the UK on the 18th of February. Um, I suppose we should probably go back to right, though, right to the start line and the night before the race. What were your thoughts that were going through your head that, that night before the start? Um, I guess it, it was really strange. Like not, None of it felt very real. Um, you know, I, it didn't really feel real until I actually crossed the start line. Um, and, it, and even then, you know, I kind of almost was missing this sort of massive emotional surge that I thought I was going to have. Um, and the night before, I just was very much, um, I think I felt like I wasn't, it, I felt the boat was ready, but I didn't feel that I was ready. Um, you know, I was really kind of trying to just tie up all the loose ends. There were loads of mm. things that I w- wanted to have done to kind of finish things off. Um, uh, and so I was kind of battling a bit with where to just draw the line and say, right, enough is enough. You've just got to, right. you've got to go This is good now. enough. We're going to go. The start's yeah. tomorrow. Off we go. Exactly, and- yeah. And I, I know I've heard you speak about the pandemic and the effect not uh, it necessarily had on your your build up to the program, but the the sort of the race village beforehand, not being able to have friends and family around, was that having a profound effect on you at the time? Yeah, I think it, you know it was quite difficult to to put aside the disappointment around that. Um, mm. You know, it was a really special moment for me, and I kind of was expecting that it would also be a special moment for for many other people, um, you know, my friends and family, but also all the people who'd supported me on the journey. You know, it was kind of supposed to be a celebration for everyone. Um, and it wasn't. Um, and, you know, the, the, the race village was closed. Um, you know, we we just didn't didn't get that side of things. And and although you know, we, I always felt really, really honoured and grateful that we got to race. It was really hard to just put aside that disappointment of yeah. what should have been. But I suppose you then step onto the boat off of the pontoon and and even the race was slightly delayed because of fog, wasn't it, on the start line? So that must have been added to the apprehension and, and all of those things. And but starting, you know, starting gun goes. How does that moment really feel after all of those years of hopes, dreams, preparation to get to that? And you hear the start gun. I mean, how did that feel? Oh, it was great. I was just so so happy. I mean, so happy. It was kind of. It was. I guess it was. It was a permission to 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 leave everything else behind. It kind of mm. was almost like a, a switch being flicked, and it's kind of like right this is mine now, this is mine. And, 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 you know, I very much from that moment, you know, kind of made this pact with myself that I would make the most of every single second I had out there. Um, because I was just so, so happy to be there. Wow. And what are those first few days, first few weeks kind of like on the boat? Um, I mean, days, the first few days were, um, I was just kind of very much settling into it. I didn't know um, 
I didn't know what to expect from my fellow competitors because, mm. you know, I hadn't had any time to to spend with them and I'd not raced against them that year. So in terms of performance, I had no idea where I was going to sit. I kind of benchmarked a bit um, against people who I'd like to be with. Um, and then, you know, in the first, in the second, I think it was after the first 48 hours, we had some of the biggest wins of the whole race. So we sailed straight into a front. I saw 50 knots. Um, you know, that was a real test of me and of the boat because it was very, very, very rough. Um, and if anything, you know, was going to break, it would have mm -hmm. broken during that time. So that kind of was just a good assertion that we'd done everything we needed to. And then, you know, quite quickly in two weeks into the race, I was already you know, very much in the rhythm of things and already sort of changing and developing as a sailor. So, so it, you know, you quite quickly just immerse yourself into this environment and it, it's actually nice how quickly I adapted. And how did it, because you've obviously done transatlantic long distance races before, that's part of the preparation for this, but this is something new. And I, I don't know, is the longest race you've done before five, six weeks at sea? Um, so the longest race was actually 28 days, right. but the longest I've been at sea was 58 days. Okay, so there'd yeah. been a long stint, but mentally your mind must then have to adjust that, you know, you're three, four weeks in and this is, you've, you're coming to the point where this is, you know, you've six, passed the longest you've been at sea racing about. Did, did the mindset shift or do you just get yourself into a kind of rhythm and a mentality and a sort of resilience that, you know, you're just there and it's happening. I mean, how does it, how do you cope with that? I didn't really think about time. Um, I mean, I okay. did, I did wonder, I wondered whether I would notice time, whether it would start to feel like a long time, whether time would start to be a problem for me. But I made a point of not counting time um, okay. or not recording time because it's, I think it for me a more um uh a better way of of marking the passage of the race was actually through geography and weather systems yeah. um because kind of time is almost immaterial because you know the time it takes you to cross an ocean depends on the weather and so if you're looking for these you're looking for these kind of stepping stones these milestones then you're much better doing them with yeah. geography than with time and actually I just didn't I didn't notice it I mean most of the time I had no idea how long I'd been out there for because everything just kind of you know it it, it, it was I guess it was just the passage of of, of the sun really yeah wow yeah. one with nature yeah um and did your expectations yourself change as the race went on um i i don't know that my expectations of myself changed because you know i had always gone into it wanting to do the best i possibly could wanting to know that by the end of the race, I could hold my head up and say, you know, I did everything within my capabilities to um, 
you know, to, to put in the best performance that I could. But what did change was um, my, um, I guess, my understanding of those capabilities. So I went into it thinking that I should, and I should have been, you know, the boat was 21 years old. It was the second oldest Mm. boat in the race. And I, when I went into it, I sort of thought I would be happy to be in the bottom five, really. Um, You know, there was one other boat, Alexia was in a boat very similar to mine. um, And I kind of thought, right, I'd like to be Alexia. Um, And then I looked at the next ones up that were 2007 boats and thought, if I could be somewhere close to these boats then that would be great. But by the middle of the Southern Ocean, I had five foiling boats behind me. Yeah. And so wow. my, I guess my um, my uh, competitiveness or what I expected from myself um, changed. In, 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 so I was always putting in the same amount of effort, but where I expected to be with results changed, yeah. I think, yeah. And you talk about the Southern Ocean. That was one of the things that wasn't daunting. Well, it was daunting for you, but you didn't know what to expect. You know, that was a place you hadn't sailed a boat before. So what was that experience like of sailing in the Southern Oceans? It is incredible. It it is one of the most incredible places on the planet, I'm sure. Um, You know, just because it is just... It is the natural world without any filters, just absolutely pure. Um, there's there's virtually nobody down there. You know, there's no shipping or anything like that. Um, uh, the weather systems are are unaltered by land masses largely. You know, the waves are huge. It, it's a really raw environment. Um, so it's incredible to be there. Um and I was nervous going into it because, you know, it is it is where all the bad stuff happens generally. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a learning experience really for me. You know, each each time a weather system came through, I pushed myself a little bit harder. I learned a bit more about the boat, about um, where my limits were. About you know, I, I I was always looking for opportunities. I'd kind of review how I was in the last system and then I'd look for opportunities to make gains in the next one and so actually because of the regularity and the way the weather system has come through it was a great opportunity to learn and to stretch myself. Wow fantastic and obviously you must feel one with nature out on the boat but particularly in the southern oceans where i think the statistics are you're cl- at one point you're closer to the international space station than yes. anybody on earth or something it was one of the stats yeah. that i heard so yeah so what was the most spectacular sight you saw you know what when you look back now and just think about nature and what you saw um i mean i think that one of the things about you know ocean sailing in particular i think is that you know, it's it's changing all the time, and it's it, it's an incredible place to be all the time. Um, and you know, I don't think there was any one thing that 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 really blew me away. I mean, albatross in real life are incredible. Just seeing those is amazing. Um, but also, you know, just looking 
looking out at an ocean that is in full flight with a big breeze behind it you know, and but then equally you know as I was coming into Cape Horn we were quite far south so it was very very cold and the squalls that were coming over there were blizzards and and so you know you're sailing and there's a massive inky black cloud with you know horizontal snow coming out of it that's settling over the boat um so it's all these you know, all these things uh, are just amazing. I mean, not that nice to be in at the time, but... but. <laughs> nice to reflect back when you're in your warm yeah. home. Exactly, <laughs> Essential yeah. heating on. Yeah. Um, and you talked just then about being in the Southern Ocean and constantly learning and trying to self-improve and get better as the next, you know, uh, weather front came through. Did you... What did you learn about yourself in terms of your ability to self you know sort of self-talk and motivate yourself did you take yourself to a level that you didn't expect before even compared to the other challenges that you've undertaken um I think I think I did I think I I think I'm a lot a lot stronger than than I thought I was um and a lot more um pragmatic I think you know I I've never been a person that gives up. Uh, I would not even say it's not a question of giving up easily. It's a question of giving up ever. I just mm. don't give up. But I think my, I guess I, what I found during the Vendée was actually that kind of manifested itself in my willingness to push myself and endure physical discomfort mm and mental fatigue maybe more than my competitors um and and kind of the more I saw that that where that got me the more willing I was to to invest in that um and so yeah I think I just am a lot tougher than I thought I was yeah, well, you're t- <laughs> you're t- you're, t- you're an incredibly tough individual, so that must be yeah, and but must be extremely kind of. And does that become self reassuring when you're out there? Do you then start to feel I can cope with this? I am coping with this, or, or did that those thoughts never go through your head? You're just dealing with the moment as as each weather front appears, and and you're dealing with what you have to deal with every single day. Um, no, I mean, I did have to, I did have to sort of coach myself into it because it is frightening. It's frightening. Mm. And if you're not frightened by it, then you don't fully understand the magnitude of what you're doing. Mm. Um, you know, the frightening thing is what if, what if this breaks, you know, is, can I hear something going wrong? What if there's something in the water in front of me? You know, what if, um, the backstay block breaks? All of these things that are going through your head and and the further south you go the further away from help you go the more you push the boat there's always this questioning in the back of your mind what if and so you know each time I would push that little bit harder and you know I could see that I was pushing harder than everyone else and then there's something in your head going what well is it you that's the fool here? You know, is it, yeah. why are they not pushing as hard? And then I would literally have to go through every single point of anxiety, every single point of concern and kind of all talk it through with myself. Why are you worried about this? You know, why do you think this is going to break? 
Um, and then just very logically apply apply logic to everything. And if I ever came to the point where it's kind of like, okay, well, you're right to be concerned about this, then then that would be the time to back off. But but most of the time, you know, by applying logic to all of my yeah. concerns, I gave myself permission to push harder. So I'm just dumbfounded, I suppose. I just can't, in, at that time when you're tired, you know, you're so tired, you're not sleeping, you're physically tired, the ability to take the emotion out of it and apply the logic is an, it must be a unique skill that long distance sailors, ocean sailors have, do you think? Um, I think we're just, we are very, we tend to be, we need to be very methodical in our approach to mm. everything. Because so for example, you know, on, on the most basic level, doing a manoeuvre solo, um, so you you have to break it down into it, its component parts and then you have to execute all of those parts in the right mm. order at the right pace. And so you're naturally used to breaking things down like that. Um, and actually, when you know, when there is nobody there to support you, when there is nobody to bounce ideas off, what you tend to do is just kind of just keep breaking things down and breaking them down and breaking them down until you can deal with each of those component parts and and i think that that definitely is a mindset that helps you overcome any problem at all um in, including you know for me definitely including sort of anxiety is it's mm -hmm. how i dealt with that because you've got systems you've got processes you've you're organized and therefore that helps you to overcome that anxiety as you say yeah and and the fact is you know if you bring emotion into it then you can quite often just become paralyzed mm -hmm. so you literally have to learn to package that emotion up just literally wrap it up in a box and and put it aside and put it somewhere because it's not it's not going to help you and if you do feel you know sometimes it does it, sometimes there is a need just to let some of that emotion out just just so that you can kind of just breathe out again. Yeah. And then literally I kind of just give myself five minutes, five minutes for, I call it a pity party, um, <laughs> <laughs> five minutes to feel sorry for yourself, five minutes to to, to let all of the mo that emotion out. And actually, you know, quite often it, it's so nonsensical that just letting it out, you kind of go, yeah, well, it's really not a problem, is it? And you move on. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, during the course of the race, obviously, there was a huge moment when you were undertaking a check on the boat and found a crack in the rudder. I mean, describe for our listeners how that felt, because that was such a profound moment, wasn't it, in terms of you, you were still in the Southern Ocean at this point? Mm, yeah, and, uh, I was it, I was still in the Southern Ocean. And actually, I'd been I'd been really learning to push the boat sort of this was after you know maybe three weeks of of learning to push the boat and I'd be incrementally creeping up on these foiling boats um which are kind of their next generation boats so so they should have been a long way yeah. ahead of me on the race course and I was creeping up on them and then I overtook them and got to about 200 miles ahead and i played the weather really well so I was about to jump on another system ahead of them extend my lead yeah everything was going right everything I was so happy with my strategy with the boat's performance 
and then I found this this crack in the rudder and it was just beyond devastating I mean it was just so everything that I'd fought for this you know this pathway I could see opening up in front of me all of that was just over in a split second and and I was it I was what was upsetting was not I know I wasn't scared by the fact I had a, a crack in the rudder because I you know it wasn't great um it was fairly serious situation but I I had a spare rudder on board we mm. had a, a good system in place for replacing it you know I I was fairly confident that I could make the change just what what was devastating for me was the fact that I knew all of this performance was just gone I was going to lose my lead yeah. you know and and that was that was the hardest thing to deal with but um I kind of you know again I I, I kind of just uh, addressed that and then you when you know when it is that when you are that remote when there really is no you know no other option it that is it you just have to face up to it you have to say okay I'm upset about this but mm. it has happened this has happened nothing on this planet is ever going to change that and the only way out of this is to positively make your repair get yourself back on your feet and go out fighting again yeah. and that's kind of just it's so easy to do that because there isn't another choice yeah but so and i suppose at that point and it's one of the questions i wanted to ask you actually your shore team become important to you don't they because they start to talk you through what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and i suppose the rendezvous is seen as a sort of you know a solo endeavor but it must you can't do what you do without a shore team can you and a team behind you supporting you so how did you feel connected with the shorty yeah it's I mean it's we I'm I'm sailing on my own but it's definitely not a you know solo <laughs> sport the, the team are massively important um and you know I think the 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 really important thing is in in the build-up then um the team kind of I need to work with them really closely. They need to work with the boat really closely so that they can, um, I guess, they can almost imagine or understand implicitly, you know, what I'm going through so they can give me the best advice possible. But Mm. um, Joff Brown, who's my technical director, you know, he knew every inch of that boat not as well as I did but he 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 knew it well enough to understand every single problem that I came against Mm. um in terms of my communication with them we we touched base every day but I don't so I don't need to talk to people when when I'm out there I'm really happy not talking to people um, but we have to be in contact because that, you know, that enables them to know I'm okay. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's it, 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 it's important for, for, for future planning. So if I think there's something slightly wrong, I can give them a warning. Um, for even down to things like for my comms stuff. So when I was um, 
delivering media content and that sort of mm. thing, I, I would look at the weather and tell my short team, okay, I've got two days of really difficult weather. So I don't really want to do any interviews over the next two days. So just, you know, so there's yeah. a back and forwards of, of general life, but we pretty much did all of that via WhatsApp. Um, so just text messaging, which is strange, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you think yeah. about how technology comes into play. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then with, with the technical problems on the boat, um, I would, you know, whether every time I saw a problem, whether I knew what the solution was or not, then I would share that problem with Joff, tell him what I intended to do about it. And then he would either say yes that's a good idea or try this yeah. or something like that and what was very useful actually with whatsapp was i could send him photos and videos um and sometimes sound files too mm. um and actually the crack in the rudder joff spotted it because i i i saw there was a problem because i did a walk around the deck and i noticed that the rudder stock had dropped but I thought it was a problem with the bearing. So I, I sent Joff a message. I said, the rudder stop's dropped. Um, I think I need to to lift it and tighten the bearing. Um, and he said, yep, yeah, do that. So I kind of set all of that up and then went below decks and and found a piece that didn't quite look right. And I took a video of it um, and I sent the video to Joff and said, oh, you know, I think the bearing needs this, that and the other. And he went very, very quiet. <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, he sent me a screenshot back with a, a photo, a screenshot from my yeah. video with a piece on it ringed. And he said, is that a crack? And I went back down below and had a look and it and it was a crack. Um, and then, you know, after that, we we discussed how was I going to deal with this? What what he wasn't allowed to do was give me any advice on when I should do it because that's okay. around the weather. So I had to make that decision myself. Yeah. But you know he he sent me a drawing of how to to set up the system with all the pulleys and everything. Um. Uh. We we talked through. Um. Again and again we talked through the process that I'd already practiced. Um. You know, so there was kind of a lot of backwards and forwards between he and I in the build up to it. And then I got everything ready and I just did it. And he said for him that was terrible because he kind of just it, yeah. he he was just left hanging for <laughs> like an hour and a half. <laughs> just, What's going on? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um wow. and then I just sent him a photo when I was done. So <laughs> And was there a moment of elation when it was done, or just oh. a moment of the job done? No, I was, it, I was, I was really, I was, because it was tense and it wasn't mm. easy. And I ended up with a um, hundred liters of water in the back of the boat, and you know, there, there, it, it was hard work. It really physically mm. demanding. The conditions were not ideal. You know, I was worried about everything. Um, and so the moment you know that rudder just came up into the boat and popped into place. I was just so super happy, but everyone was. I because yeah. I had to tell the race committee what I was doing, and the my competitors near me knew as well because if something happened, they may have had yeah. to come to to help me. So you know, I kind of 
I was super happy when I'd finished it and I sent messages to all the people I needed to and they were all so happy. I mean, they were so, <laughs> they were so amazed at how quickly I'd done it and where I'd done it. Um, yeah. But everyone was happy, yeah. <laughs> but that was your competitive spirit, I'd imagine. Because I can remember, you know, there being, you know, following it on blogs and following it on the Vendée Globe channels and, you know, the commentators were saying, well, Pip's going to have to wait two or three days now for the weather fronts to really calm down on sea state to calm down. And then all of a sudden I opened it up and it was like, Pip's changed the rudder. It was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's kind of, it, it, yeah, it must have been your competitive spirit thinking, all right, I'm going to just get this done and get on with the race. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew the conditions weren't ideal, but I thought I saw a window um and it was only I mean it really was a kind of like now or never moment and um uh and so what I sort of said to myself and to Joff was um I'm going to prepare I'm going to get everything ready um you know everything will be assembled all the ropes will be in place we'll all be ready to go and I will wait until this time and if I don't find a suitable window by that time, then I'll put it all away again and I'll sail north for three days and find that window. Um, But I, you know, I kind of was prepared to sacrifice 12 hours of waiting just for a slither of a chance that I'd be able to do it um, instead of losing, you know, five days. So, yeah. And, I, I, you know, that moment, you know, you, you get sailing again, you're, you're firmly back in the race. Um, and that wasn't your last challenge, though, was it? You soon got stung by jellyfish. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, challenge after challenge after challenge. And uh, tell you know, what happened? Um, I mean, it was just so unexpected it wasn't something we'd planned for at all um I mean we had some some Portuguese man of war washed over the boat just very very small ones literally about two centimeters long probably maybe three really really small small. really small yeah and it's not unusual in the Atlantic it it Mm. happens quite often there they there are sort of big fields of them and and you know, when waves wash over the boat, they just wash all of these little things on board. And um, they'd kind of washed through the boat. And I, I was finding a few of them tucked into, you know, halyard bags and this, that and the other um, and and chucking them over the side. Um, and uh, I, I must have been sort of three days after that. Um, I moved some sails around the boat and it was a really hot day um, and I'd just been working quite hard. So I lay on top of a sail bag um, and there was one of these little things just tucked into the fold of the material um, and it it stung me through my T-shirt on my back. Um, I mean, who knew these things could be venomous after they'd been dried out for three days? Um, yeah. <laughs> and but I had quite a nasty reaction to it, so I got yeah. a, a massive blister on my back, and then um, that kind of turned into blisters over the rest of my body and hives, um, and then I um, my face swelled up as well, and 
and um, it was all aggravated by direct sunlight. <laughs> it was it was pretty miserable. As you're coming up through the yeah, as yeah. you're coming up into the warmest part of the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, over the equator, it was pretty awful. Yeah. So how did you have to? What do you, how did you have to adapt to cope with that? Um, so, I mean, we, I think um, I dealt with it kind of largely like I would deal with a technical problem on the boat. Only so I had my um, Lou, who is my shoreside medic. She was kind of um, giving me the instructions there. We've got mm. a, a really full on medical kit on board and I was having to take some some uh, quite a cocktail of of um medication to to try and treat it and it is you know it is quite difficult um you know i had to take take pictures talk about how i was feeling so that she and um and a, another doctor could remote diagnose me and then they were having to pass their treatment plan through the race doctor and then I would be allowed to open the big yellow box and get the treatment out. Um, so there was that side of things, and we were we were all having to keep quite a tight um, control or um, or understanding, you know, recording what I was taking when, um, because especially with um, you know some of the analgesia that's you know a bit stronger. Uh, if you're on your own, you need to be very, very careful about what you're taking. But also I was having to regularly check in more than normal. Just yeah. just keep saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah. And yeah. and then I couldn't go outside during the day because there's no shelter from the sun at all, um, which meant that I had to stay down below during the day, which was awful because it was hmm. nearly 40 degrees down below and no, not a breath of ventilation um but I couldn't be in the direct sun so down so during the day I was trying to rest but it was very 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 hard because it was mm. so hot um and then I would focus on sailing the boat at night time because it was cooler you know it's quite nice having the cool breeze on my skin um yeah. and uh and I, so I was just doing what I had to during the day but trying to make up on performance overnight wow Crumbs. Would you have said that was the most challenging point of the race? Um, yes, it was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just because I, I, I never expected. Yeah, you know, I, I guess mentally, I prepared for all of the technical problems. I prepared for the boat not to be working properly, but I hadn't prepared for me not to be working properly, mm. um, and that was that was harder to deal with. Yeah. And then as we start to sort of I want to talk to you about what's happened since when you got back, but we've got, we've got to talk about passing the finish line and co and completing the Vendée. So uh, how was, how did, you know, that feel? I think I've heard you talk about it. It was quite a um, concerning period up until the kind of finish line. There was lots of boats around, lots of things going on. What was it like? Um, it it was very, very stressful um, for a number of reasons. I mean, for the whole race, for three months, my strategy had been not to sail upwind, um, not to sail anywhere there were lots, there was lots of other traffic, um, and and not to get close to the land. Um, and so, you know, in the last twelve hours of the race, 
I was doing exactly that. Um, I ended up sailing into the, the most I saw was 30 knots, so nearly gale force winds. I was sailing directly into them, um, fishing boats everywhere, uh, and I was making a landfall at night on a rocky coast. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of just this, <laughs> just yeah. everything, every you know your 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 natural your natural seamanship, the, the things that you've been working towards for so long, you you have to go against all of them. But also, yeah. um, you know, I hadn't I hadn't been looking after the boat in the same way um, for the last two days. So I'd had a couple of couple of problems on the boat a couple of breakages which had I been in the middle of the ocean in a different part of the race Mm. then I would have kind of sailed to somewhere that I could properly address those and fix them properly but because I was being forced towards a point racing towards a point then I kind of did quick fixes on them because I knew they only had to last for, you know, 36 hours. Uh, and even in the last six hours of the race, the, the ropes that were holding my my keel, so my keel swings from side to side, and the ropes that were holding my keel in position broke. Um, and so rather than kind of doing a, a, a proper fix on that, I did a quick fix, which just pinned my keel into the middle which meant that I couldn't sail as fast as I wanted to. Um, so it was kind of all of these things just really, I was the most stressed I'd been in the whole race uh, coming into that finish. I was so stressed mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I actually had terrible cramp in my stomach. Um, and I I wasn't sure that I would be able to be happy when I crossed the line because I was so stressed Hmm. and I didn't want to see a camera. I didn't want people to take photos of me because I kind of thought everyone was going to be expecting me to be so happy. And I didn't know if I could, Um, but actually, you know, it, it was really stressful until about a mile away from the line. Um, my support boat came out. Uh, and they kind of stood off a bit. Um, and then all of the race committee support boats came out in the middle of the night, all of these lights surrounding me. And then, you know, you don't have a choice. There's a massive big <laughs> launch alongside you, just shining the biggest spotlight on you you can possibly imagine. And it's kind of, well, I could go down below and hide or, <laughs> or just, <laughs> just kind of, you know. Go just, with it. Yeah. And actually you know, then, then you're like, well, what am I, you know, what do they want me to do? Well, they want me to, 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 you know, to raise raise my, and and then you kind of, then, then it really hits you and you think, well, wow, I've, I've done it. I've done it. I have just raced single-handed around the world and, and it was amazing. It was just the most amazing feeling. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can only dream and imagine. But you are a self-professed uh, introvert, Pip. Um, so how have you dealt with all the attention since finishing the race? I mean, there was a point where you couldn't open a national paper <laughs> or put the TV on, or, and there was Pip or on the radio. Or and for somebody that doesn't, you know, don't doesn't like all of that attention, how did you cope with that in the aftermath when you return? You put your feet on the land. You've achieved this great achievement. You've spent your life setting out to achieve. And then 
everybody else who's putting demands on your time, Pip. How did that feel? Um, I mean, it is not, I don't think it's something that I'm ever going to be that comfortable with. But um, everyone was just so kind and so, mm. so positive. And, you know, I was really happy that, that my sport, which is a minority sport, was getting that sort yeah. of attention. And, you know, I've learned that I'm comfortable speaking about my passion and and actually you know my my I've, I've got confidence when I'm talking about the thing that I love and I kind of really do want to share that with people mm. and so it makes it easier and you know I think one of the things that I've definitely learned about you know all of the media requirements and, and this that and the other is is that I'm really comfortable talking about my race, about, you know, how how we all made it happen, about how it feels. And when people ask me questions that really are, you know, they 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 show a genuine interest in the race, then I'm comfortable to answer yeah. them. But what I'm not comfortable with is stuff that I kind of like, well, why would anybody want to know that about me? You know, it's kind of the irrelevant <laughs> stuff. It's like, you know, because in the rest of life, I'm just a completely normal person. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's it just don't, it's fine as long as we don't, we don't step outside of yeah. sailing. So if you stay within your passion and, and <laughs> yeah. things that you're, you're genuine about and you care about and yeah. like you say, your, your sport and, and your achievements and the team that you've got around you, then yeah, then it, I suppose it becomes natural, doesn't it? Because you are passionate and you just want to start to share that. Yeah. When you look back now, is, did it take a while to actually sink in? Was there a moment when it really hit you that what you've actually achieved? Um, I mean, it, it comes and goes to be honest. Um, okay. cause I think sometimes now it feels like I didn't do it. it you know, it just, it feels so far away because um, really? life life returns to normal really, really quickly, really quickly. And I think that has been, you know, that's been a COVID thing as well, though, because mm. you know, I, I got I got back to France, and and although you know there was still a curfew there, and and the race village was closed, but I was I was still in this kind of environment that was celebrating. Mm. what we'd done the other boats were there I got to see a few of the other skippers and 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 then you know I came back to the UK and it was a, a, amazing coming back into Paul it was so good and so unexpected but then literally I just went straight in to lockdown Britain yeah. so I just went went to my house and sat in my house and you know did the same as everyone else has been doing all over the winter but I mean that is such a stark contrast to mm. all of the freedom that I'd had before that you know it, it is it kind of quite quickly separates you from that experience right wow and is and is what have you taken away from the experience and lessons learned that you're sort of applying in everyday life um I think um I think the biggest thing is just around perspective um, you know, one of one of the big tools that I use to to try and keep 
keep positive and 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 keep remembering you know the bigger picture was this kind of zoom out thing you know and I would every time I was really really struggling I would just kind of almost literally you know zoom out and view 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 my boat and me in the middle of the ocean and just just you know look back and and think about everything that had gone into getting me there Mm. and why I was there and 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 you know how much I owed to so many people to make the most of it not least of which myself and I was you know every time I would do that you know I was I knew I was happy to be there and I knew it was the best experience of my life and and that kind of helped me get through the difficult moments in time and I think you know to be able to do that with life on the land is a I think it's harder it is harder because you know your direction on the land is less focused because Mm. there are so many more noise around you isn't there and distractions and yeah yeah but I I think you know if I can if I can take even some of that sort of that positivity I suppose of of knowing that you're in the right place doing the right thing if I can take that away then that definitely helped me on the land yeah brilliant and you did need to return medallion you chartered the boat and what was that feeling when you sailed it back across um the channel and, and handed the boat back you must have come it becomes much much more than an object and it just be something you adore and fell in love with i mean how did it feel to actually hand the boat back oh it was a, i mean it was a whole mix of feelings really um i mean it was it was it was sad it was you know the end of an era and and as you say you know that boat had been my whole life for two and a half years mm-hmm. i mean i knew every single part of that boat and it had you know given me being able to charter that boat gave me the Mm-hmm. greatest of opportunities and so you know it was it was definitely you know a, a poignant moment but at the same time there was kind of like a feeling of closing the circle I guess mm. yeah. you know I kind of I had achieved against every one of my objectives and I you know I I went back to the first day that I picked that boat up and thought about you know the 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 state it was in and mm. and the fact that i had no idea how to sail it and i was i was returning it you know in and and so you know the the i guess the fact that i had achieved the vonday and and the boat yeah. was in good condition and and i was returning yeah. it it was just a it was a, a nice feeling like too. Said, and I love that sense you've completed the circle and as you've completed that circle, a new opportunity, a new dawn yeah. kind of opens. And I, I suppose we should finish with that. So you've stated already that you want to compete in the Fonde Globe in 2024. But what is next for Pip? Um, I Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of knew before I'd even started this one that I wanted to do another one <laughs> um, because I just think something like this your first one you're learning the second one you know you you have so much more knowledge you you're in a better position to compete because you understand what the problem is 
Um, but, you know, even more so when I finished this race, it, it was one of the things. So, so many, it, every single person I spoke to, actually every single person, including, you know, the, all the people who've done, British sailors who've done Vaughan Days already, said to me, oh, you'll finish the race and say never again, and then you'll forget, and then you'll sign up for another one. But I stepped off that boat going, that was the best three months of my life, I want to do it again. There was just no question, absolutely no question, but also I've learned so much, and it would be a shame not to take that to the next level. Um, So I very purposefully, since I got back from the race, I have been working towards making that happen um because what i want the most over the next uh which well, is three and a half years now to the next one day because <laughs> time ticks the on. yeah and and what i want the most is is i invested everything in the boat this time mm. uh, everything because i had to i'd like to invest something in me um, I'd like to give myself more time to learn. I'd like to spend more time with coaches, you know, do more on weather and strategy, yeah. give myself a bit more time to rest <laughs> and all of those <laughs> sorts of things. So so I have been very, very, very focused on just trying to get this next one off the ground. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, I, I need to get my general fitness back up again because mm. – spending three months of sea is not great for the body um and and i just yeah like to as soon as we are able i'd like to spend a lot more time with my friends and family because i've i've missed them yeah Yeah, i can only imagine yeah brilliant Um, pip Pip, it's been great to know you over the last 18 months two years and you know see you from bringing the boat you know alongside it uh, Paul, Paul Key and you sharing your dream and your aspirations and just being alongside you at times and seeing how you've grown as an individual and how you've evolved and adapted Pip to be the person you are and to see you now having completed the one day um, we're on kind of squadcast or on the podcast recording software but it's great to see you and to see you smiling and to know that you've achieved those dreams and aspirations and I just wish you all the luck for the the next one day and whatever you decide to do next Pip oh well thank you and you know thank you for being a part of this journey because you were one of the first people that signed up as part of the business syndicate and you know invested in me when there really wasn't a lot there so um you know it's partly your success as well been great just to be part of the journey thank you what an inspiring individual i think it's difficult for any of us to just try and start to imagine just how daunting a prospect it is to sail around the world on your own to literally venture into the unknown and so often be so far from help should something go wrong Pip is certainly one of the most courageous individuals I know and I'm really proud that Evolve and Inspire helped her in just some small way on her journey to achieve the great things she did during the course of the Vendée Globe. During the interview it occurred to me so much of what Pip had to say and her experiences during the Vendée Globe compared to starting, running and leading a business. There are those elements of taking risks, of having the confidence to go out on your own, the confidence in your own beliefs and of building that resilience and using it to deal with the challenging times when they come. There was also the part where Pip said next time round she's going to invest more time in herself and take more time to rest and look after her own well-being in the build-up to the race. 
There are certainly takeaways here and comparisons to the way that a business owner hopefully at some point realises that that to truly succeed for all of that time and effort you put into creating a business and being at the helm and being a business leader, you need to take the time to care for yourself too because it affects your performance in all aspects of life. And finally, I thought about what Pip said about being on the start line and still not feeling fully prepared. The truth is that you'll probably never feel fully prepared for anything. And the danger is that just waiting to be prepared only invokes the old enemy of procrastination. So for any of you listening who may be thinking about making a significant change in your business or looking to start their own business or just wanting to branch into something new, ask yourself how ready do you feel? Is it 75 or 80%? If so, is it time to stop waiting for the extra 20%? Because in truth, it may never come. You've just got to get to step on board, begin the journey, and then adapt and deal with things as they come. I'm sure you, like I, are looking forward to hearing to the next stage of Pip's journey as she announces her next voyages, races, and challenges in the months and years ahead. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter, as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve, including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space in Ashley Cross and Paul. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.